Hello, friends, and welcome. I'm your co-host, Andrew Lazaga, here with Dubside. And you're listening to the Dubcast with Dubside. So, Dubside, how was the Minnesota gathering? It was very good. We, uh, I, I gave a presentation like the, the one I'd given at the Michigan training camp about my uh, the, the article that I wrote in the Masik, but it was an uh-huh. expansion expansion of the article to to include stuff I had, had taken out of the, the first draft, which was too long. So people got to see more more stories. Cool. And um, you said you were going to do some paddling around the Apostle Islands? Yeah, yeah. We went to the Apostle Islands. I got to two more of them. I'd been there once before, but just in the first, the closest one with some of the sea caves on. We got to two oh. other ones out there so i got to see a little bit more of the, you know, the lighthouses and this other things and we, we got fairly fortunate with the weather you know you have to the great lakes you really got to watch the weather for long pals because the, the wind will kick up and you can get into big trouble mm, yeah were you able to uh cook your breakfast out there actually i did yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> sometimes when i travel I, I i can't do that but this time people were hooking me up so i would go pick up all the vegetables and stuff at a place and, we, and somebody had a, a cooler with getting ice you know how you keep produce cold while you're oh uh, yeah traveling. and i had managed to find somebody with a, the right you know pan and the right stove thing it usually it takes me a, a couple days to get the stove and pan setting just dialed in properly but then then once that happens and i'm i'm eating like i do at home so yeah very nice nice i still need to try it out i want to get to my uh cabin because i have a old cast iron dutch oven there i think would work well for it <laughs> That's the way to do it yeah yeah well i was out camping in the san juan islands for a few days All and right. um the weather was just perfect for it it's a great time of year because it was cool in the mornings and it warmed up to about the upper 60s mostly sunny skies calm winds and yeah. uh pretty mild currents this past week you're always planning around the currents. They really determine where you can go. Yeah, definitely. And um, just as I got back and landed on the beach in Anacortes, I ran into Warren Williamson. All right. Yeah, you know Warren. Yeah. Well, he was just taking his kayak off of his truck, and he was going to go on his daily paddle around Burroughs and Allen Island there. And right. uh, this was a gorgeous cedar strip kayak that he had designed himself really more of a modern design round hull a plumb bow and stern small ocean cockpit opening 17 right. feet long and he says it's all waterline and there's no sharp edges on this thing it's beautiful yeah. beautiful kayak yeah he must have built many many kayaks by now yeah i think that's what uh He's been doing uh, for the last several years. He yeah. he came out of the Northwest School of Wooden Boat Building. He's built kayaks in skin-on-frame, plywood, stitch and glue, and now cedar strip, which I think is his preferred technique. I mean, he's built traditional Greenland style and bedarkas and yeah. now this modern kayak, which I think is probably the culmination of all of his kayak building knowledge. Mm-hmm. Warren was famous for surfing the standing waves at Deception Pass and also at Skookumchuk Rapids in Mm -hmm. BC. Yeah. He's a rare example of a highly skilled kayaker who both designs and paddles his own kayaks. And he's able 
he's able to use his knowledge of how the kayak performs to improve the design. Right. And he probably knows Deception Pass better than anybody. Well, I, I did. I did mention him about his his uh, whirlpool role in some some episode in the past. I had a, had a role when a whirlpool was trying to suck you down. In the oh spot. yeah, yep. Well, you'll you'll have to uh, convince him to do an interview for the Dubcast, right? Yeah, I've been wanting to uh, get him on here. Um, I'll have to right. work on that. Yeah, you know, uh, he's seventy years old now and just an in incredible shape. Okay, well, any other updates? I, I talked to a guy up in up in the uh, Apostle Island area at, at the uh, in Michigan, I guess it was Luke. Um, online, he's called um, Kayak Hipster. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay. I, I talked to him. It was just about twenty minutes, but I'll I'll, I'll get that edited together. We'll, that'll that'll be coming up in the future on as a special guest interview. Oh, excellent! Great. How long have you known about Kayak Hipster? I've I've met him quite some time ago. I think it was the Hudson River Greenland Festival, but I didn't okay. really understand his that he had this big online presence with all this instructional stuff. Yeah. All right. I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. Okay. So without further ado, here's Dubcast number 47. We'll call this one The Day Delaware Attacked New Jersey. Welcome to the Dubcast with Dubside. This is Dubcast number 47. It's about paddling on the southern edge of New Jersey, southwestern edge, where the Delaware River opens out into the Delaware Bay. And I have music from a group that goes back quite some number of years in Greenland. They're called Kalak. And the song is Nutsuisutut Pivok. I think I've mentioned before that I was a sound man, sound engineer, uh, before I did kayaking for a living. And this was in the 1980s, 1990s in Philadelphia. I did live sound, working with bands, nightclubs, concerts. And in working for many years in that field, got to know other people in the field, in the area. There's a guy I ran into on several occasions from Delaware. And when we had big productions, we'd call in people from the surrounding areas for additional stuff. This guy's name was Lee Jennings, a very knowledgeable sound engineer. And he had had a, a big sound company called Thunder and Lighting, but I think he had, he had uh, switched over from that. Now he was doing production things you know he, he could get that that big equipment if he needed to but he didn't own it himself so he didn't have to keep it stored in the warehouse but he could find people who needed stuff that he needed if it was called for and so when we were doing some big productions uh, might be working all day or, or something with a hotel for two days but there'd be times of 
of lull in the activity where you're just hanging out and waiting for things. If you've got everything set up and then the, the band comes on later on, so in the afternoon you've got some free time. And I remember Lee would be over in a corner with a, a tablet of paper writing things. And sometimes somebody would say, hey, what are you writing there, Lee? And he, would, he wouldn't, wouldn't uh, want to discuss it. Or sometimes he would he would be reading something, but he seemed to be to have some other activity going on when he wasn't involved in the sound thing. And I came to find out sometime later that Lee had a very keen interest in the history of Delaware, and especially the forts on the Delaware River, that going back to the Revolutionary War and up through the Civil War. And he knew all about them, and he was quite instrumental in preserving some of them. There's a, a Fort Delaware on the, right on the Delaware River that he was uh, very involved in the volunteer efforts to restore that and maintain that and preserve it. If you look at a map of New Jersey, where the, the bay, when it gets narrower into the Delaware River, it takes, it's sort of going in a northwest direction, and then it cuts to make a northeast direction. And in that, in that bend there, there is an island right in the middle of the river. So it's maybe a little bit towards the Delaware side, but it's called Pea Patch Island. And that was determined to be an excellent place to put a fort, which after the Revolutionary War, they did make a fort there called Fort Delaware. And then there was a fort on the New Jersey side called Fort Mott. And these are from the era of cannons and gunpowder. So, so I think before World War I, they'd been taken out of service as active military installations. So this guy, Lee Jennings, had researched all sorts of interesting little details and stories. And he said there was, he calls it, the day that Delaware attacked New Jersey. Little known fact. <laughs> This was in the 1920s, and apparently there was some civilians um, from in the Delaware side, and they were practicing with—they um, had inert shells they were firing, and some of their shots went kind of wild out onto the, across the Delaware. One of them just missed a pleasure boat with people in it. The other one landed on a farm in New Jersey— and totaled the farmer's hay wagon. But the best part of the story is, Lee says that it maybe 50 years later, some folks in Delaware wanted these, these shells that had been fired across you know, for their historic artifacts. They're collecting their, the, the memorabilia stuff and these important um, relics. So they made inquiries over to people in New Jersey and said, you know, we, these shells that accidentally got fired over in the 20s. We, you know, if you, can we, could, could we get those? And the word came back from New Jersey. Oh, you're asking us for these things now? Well, if you wanted them so bad, you shouldn't have shot them over here in the first place. You ain't getting them. Well, Lee told me that story sometime in the 1990s. And in researching this uh, right now, I found that about 2009... Lee was himself approached uh, some private owner in New Jersey who had one of these shells, and the guy did give it to Lee, and then Lee was able to put it in the collection he was maintaining for Delaware history. 
They also learned that in 2010, sadly, Lee passed away at the age of 57. I remember asking him one time why he sold his, his big sound company, Thunder and Lighting. And he said that he had started that company by taking out a loan for half a million dollars. And he was able to, over time, pay it all back. And that in itself was an achievement. So I guess he wanted to quit while he was ahead. So here's to Lee Jennings, successful sound engineer, Delaware historian, and a really nice guy. Well, having purchased a kayak in 1998 and started paddling in the Philadelphia area, I could explore these waterways of southern New Jersey, looking at maps or nautical charts. There is a fascination with islands when you have the means to get to them. And so the south part of New Jersey, it's the southwest edge of New Jersey, there is a big inlet off of the Delaware, which is fed by the Salem River. There's a town called Salem. There's a, a nuclear power plant down there. But the, the, this bay um, is a lot of marshy areas. And looking at the map I had, there is, there's an a island there in that, in that bay. Now, there, some of them, on a nautical chart, there are, there are green areas which go cover up at, at high tide, and they're, they're often marshy areas. But when you find one that's, that's fully the, the yellow, yellow-brown color, um, you know it's, it's probably dry land. So there's a small little round island in, in the middle of this Salem River Bay, which I think is called Manning Meadows on the, on the chart, on the maps. And then there is a bus, the New Jersey Transit Buses, a route that goes all the way down along the river on the in, inland and ends in Salem. And it crosses, there's a Mannington Creek. And so I figured, I, I, I didn't scout out ahead of time, I just took my kayak and figured out, take this 401 bus crossing over to Camden and out down through New Jersey. And I should be able to get to this Mannington Creek um, and put in and, and find this island. And then I can take that, that bus back after, afterwards. So on December 4th, 1999, this was actually trip number 82. So this is fairly early in my kayaking career. Got on a bus at 7.29 a.m. The 401 bus leaves in downtown Philadelphia. And it took me about an hour and a half. It's a long bus ride all the way out. And I'm, I'm looking out the window, checking out where I am, and I see that the bus crosses Mannington Creek. But this is, by the time they get out there, it's the, the, like a Greyhound motor coach, you know, long-distance bus. So it doesn't stop at every, every intersection. You're out in the countryside. So it only stops at designated places that can be miles apart. So they cross Mannington Creek, but there's no stop there. So I have to keep on riding. And then it heads all the way into the town of Salem, where it ends, so I, I get off there. Now I gotta find where the water is. Well, if I drag the kayak on the wheels in the cart, it's a lot more troublesome than it is to paddle it. So all I need to get to is any 
water I can float the kayak on, and then I'll paddle to out to the the Mannington's Meadow Bay and the and the, the island, etc. So I, I walk around. There's some houses, some backyards, and I find something like some little creek estuary, something with some reed grass to hide behind to put my kayak together. And I assemble the kayak and put it on the water. And now the, the water doesn't seem to have any real current, you know, because I'm figuring it's it flows somewhere. That's where I'm going to, to the bigger water. But I got I can't I can't tell quite which way to go. But I I, I take a, a pick and then it's it's just a marsh kind of a thing. And paddling out and around. And this was, December was, that day was quite warm. It hit the 60s, so it was a warm day. But I found there were areas of this marsh that had ice on them. It was thin ice, so I had to, had to play icebreaker for a little bit to get through some areas. So I come out to a, a, a wider area, and I see there's a, a duck blind on the side there. And I, on the, in the water, there's, a, there's a, one of these duck decoys sitting there, and I, was looking at that, figuring, you know, do I do I need a duck decoy for anything? No, I don't. You know, what am I going to do with a duck decoy? So I didn't didn't mess with it. And within within half a minute, this pickup truck comes roaring out along the edge of the water there and screeches to a stop. And this guy jumps out, and he's really agitated about something, screaming at me. And I managed to get him calmed down. And he was had trouble with people stealing his decoys. And uh, then I came to understand this was actually a decoy in use. He had put it there specifically. It didn't float there from somebody lost it somewhere. So it was a good thing I didn't mess with it. And I, and I told him that I'm, I'm just kayaking. I'm, I mean, no threat to you. Just, just chill out. Don't worry about it. So he, he managed to, uh, to calm down and, and drive away. But I, I suppose I should have asked him, you know, how do I get out of this marsh here to the main water? I can't tell where the, the channel is. Now, I had looked at the, my chart ahead of time carefully for landmarks, and there was marked on the chart a water tower in that area somewhere. So that, you know, taking bearings off of that with a compass, you can get your get your location figured out better. But I couldn't, where there were trees, and I, I couldn't see what I was looking for. And there was some sort of water tower structure somewhere, but I couldn't confirm that that was the one that was on the chart because they don't have every single thing on the chart. So I was still a little confused. Eventually, I came to a small bridge with a dam or embankment underneath it, which was keeping the water back so the area I was in wasn't tidal at all and there wasn't any real current. So took out and carried it around over the bridge and got down the other side. Now I was on the actual bay. I paddled out through a, through a creek kind of a thing and came to the full Mannington Meadows Bay. And then I was able to locate the... On the horizon, the Delaware Memorial Bridge, which is a big, big landmark down there, it crosses over the Delaware. You can see it from quite a ways away. And then I could see the cooling towers for the, the power plant as well. And then I, then I could get my bearings and I knew which way to go. And I had it lined up so that the compass heading to find where this island was, was sort of on the other end of the, of the bay. It took me a, a while to get to. It was maybe a mile or two find the island. On the way there, I saw a peculiar sort of a rectangular thing in the water. Um, and as I got closer and closer to it, I determined that there were some ducks around it. So, something was weird about this thing. Well, it was some actual duck hunters in the, in the act of hunting. 
and the, the, the things on the water were all decoys. And they had in there, they had the, a blind on there, so it didn't look like a boat because it was squared off with the, the netting over it. And once I saw that, that they, these were actual hunters hunting, I steered clear of them um, to get to the island. Probably not a great idea to be paddling there during duck season, but the duck hunters, generally they're, they're shooting up into the air. They, they don't shoot the ducks when the ducks are in the water. They shoot them up in the air, and it's shotgun pellets, so it's not like bullets, but still, probably want to stay away from that if I can. And the island was nice. It was uninhabited. Not, not a really big island, but it was a good dry island. It would be suitable for camping, but it's such a long trip for me to get to it. And actually, I've never been back to that island, but I would assume that it is still there. Paddled back to the town of Salem to take out. And this was a Saturday, so in the evening I came along the shore, and there were some people doing something, and suddenly there was this huge explosion, which shocked me, but it took me a moment or two to figure out these were reenactors firing a cannon. Or maybe they weren't reenactors. Maybe they were taking pot shots at Delaware to retaliate for the pot shots that had come at them 70 years before that. Anyway, I got to the bus and took a long ride back to Philadelphia and didn't get home till about midnight, but it was a good day. Well, that was 1999, December. So in the year 2000, I'm still looking at my maps all the time, paddling around Philadelphia, but I'm checking out that southern New Jersey area. And I looked to see that I thought the Salem River fed into Mannington Meadows, which fed into the Delaware. But it looked on the map, there's a Salem River that feeds right into the Delaware several miles upstream from where Mannington Meadows comes in. But I, I couldn't, it, it didn't quite make sense. But right at the Delaware Memorial Bridge, there is, it's marked that the, the Salem River comes straight into the Delaware. And that bus route, before it gets to Salem, comes, there, there's some towns down there. There's Carney's Point and a town called Deepwater and Penn's Grove. So some stops through there. I figured I could, I could come just paddle up a little bit of the Salem River there off, off of the Delaware and, and get out there and find the bus to get back home. But to get out there, I could start in Wilmington, Delaware, which is across the, the river, um, and have to paddle down a mile or two. And I know how to get to Wilmington on, on the train. So this is one of those uh, first-time put-ins and takeouts here. Uh, but I'm, I'm just going for it instead of scouting it out. So I, I take the train to Wilmington, and I get out and scout the river. It's, it's easy to see right there. And I find a spot where I can put the kayak together and get in it. But it'll only work at high tide. If it's low tide, I think it'll be all muddy. But... But it works because I'm not coming back that way. I'm going to paddle over to New Jersey. So I, I put the kayak together and come out on the Christina River as it feeds into the Delaware. And I have to go out um, maybe a mile or so out through the, the channel there to get to the, the Delaware. And I had planned this carefully. There was a wind from the northeast, basically a north wind. Um, and I, once I got out on the Delaware, I would be coming pretty much south down to, to find the, this Salem River mouth. 
And I was also had at times, so the tide, the high tide was sometime in the morning. So I'll ride the tide and the wind down the Delaware, nice, easy, easy voyage, to get to this Salem River and then come up, up that and then find a takeout there. Should be a nice day. So I get out onto the Delaware, and there's that wind, and there's that current with the tide coming down, and I breeze in right through and paddle over and get down to where the, the Delaware Memorial Bridge is and cross over. And I find the mouth of the Salem River where it feeds into the Delaware. It's about 200 feet wide, and there is big-time industry there. There's all this factory stuff and walls, gates, barbed wire and everything. And there's a like a pipeline about 10 feet over the water that's channeled. It's arranged to come up over the over that part of the, the Salem River there. So no no big boats are going to get in there. But I you know my paddle will go under this thing. So I, so I paddle under that, and there's maybe 100 200 yards coming up up this river thing. And on my map says you know I could go up this river for you know maybe a mile or two, and then I get to where the, the bus crosses over and I can take out there and go back home. But right after I come around this the first bend, there is, with all the, the factory stuff on, on both sides, there is a big, huge, uh, what do you call it, like a weir or embankment. It's like a dam with some gates in it that can open up to let the water out, but the gates are closed at the moment. It's, it's like a big, huge industrial thing right there blocking the whole river. With a, with a fence over the top of it and a walkway up there and the whole bit. Like it's impassable. And I'm looking at my chart, and my chart's, you know, it's supposed to be a river there. This, you know, I, I need to get through here. This is, it's, charts are supposed to be marked with all the stuff that will obstruct the ship. And I'm, I'm pondering this, and this guy, there's a walk, watchman kind of guy, guard type of person, comes out from the his little boot there, and he's walking along the, the, the top of the embankment there, and he's calling down to me, he says, hey, you, gotta, you, you can't be in there. If these gates are opened up, a torrent of water comes rushing through there. It's dangerous to be there. And I'm, I'm looking at him, looking at my map, and I'm, I'm wanting to tell him, no, look, look, see my map here? This is, I'm supposed to go through here, but I, I don't know what I was thinking. Like I, this, is, this is before Google Earth, so I couldn't scope it out ahead of time that way. And it's also before Harry Potter. So I couldn't wave my magic paddle and make the dam disappear and navigate up the Salem River like I wanted to. In the real world, this was an impassable situation. There was nowhere to take out. There was barbed wire fences all around, and I pretty much had to turn back. So I had to paddle back out and under that, that pipeline thing and back out onto the Delaware. Now, if I were to go on downstream... To get to Salem, I have to go around that tip of New Jersey and then back up and into that Mannington's Meadow place. And at, at several miles, the long, I hadn't planned on doing that. So it was it was shorter, was shorter distance-wise to paddle back to Wilmington and get back on the train. So I started to do that. Unfortunately, that nice big push I was getting from the current and the wind, I was fighting it to get back. To where I hadn't planned to be going and had to slog through you know strong current and heavy wind and uh, it was it was arduous I, I ended up on the the Delaware side it's pretty shallow as the tide goes out so I, I ended up just walking it was rocks on the bottom not not thick mud so I could 
get out and just wade and pull the kayak along for, for several hundred yards because it was easier than paddling. But it, would, it took a while to get back up the river and then into the Christina River and back on the to Wilmington and the train and go back home that way. But that's what I did. Well, when I got back home and studied my chart, I could see in all the details in that mouth of the Salem River there, there is a little teeny black line across the river. Now, a lot of times on charts, there'll be a designation. You know, this is a, a floating buoy or this is a flashing light or it explains or this is... There are symbols for a you know, sunken, sunken ship, shipwreck kind of a thing. But I didn't see any indication of what this little black line was. But having been there, now I know that black line indicates a dam which is obstructing the river. And, and now it makes sense that the, that holds the river back. And then I guess the, that water flows into that Manning Meadows on the other, sort of on the other side of the, that point of New Jersey. And then it feeds out that way by Salem, which is the, the way I went out onto the Delaware from before. So this is a blocked off portion, which would normally flow, but not with this dam there, which is why I couldn't get through it. And most of my paddling back then was closer to Philadelphia because it was easier to get to. But I did go back to that southern New Jersey area a few times. And I did on occasion once paddle out to Pea Patch Island, which is a Long crossing, which is kind of boring, trying to get to a little dot on the horizon, and you paddle and paddle, and an hour later, that dot is a little bit bigger. But I did paddle out to Peapatch Island and around Fort Delaware and back to Salem. So southern New Jersey is probably best known as where the Pine Barrens are. But even on the coastal areas, which aren't in the Pine Barrens, there's interesting paddling to be done. Okay, music we have from a group called Kalak. That's K-A-L-A-K. If it was Q-A-L-A-K, it would be Kalak, but it's Kalak. It was spelled with Ks. Now, these folks are from quite a ways back, earlier generation of musicians, the song we have here, it's called Nutsui Sutuk Pivok. It goes like this. Okanachit isigi gamba malugivara pamuna nuvanarisara
Larissa Kinanguit Isigilada Ekelaj Dutit Apalaj Lagit Perusukit Perusutara Pasirabara Dimindi Palugivara Ileniyo ano tumatamasok Lutsu isu tupibok Tislemnerahu aniyakisuhasok Tusasayu asabok On their CD notes, they have that translated as, I am drawn towards your open heart. This is basically a love song. Now, the actual, that the full line of the chorus, that would translate to, I am drawn towards your open heart. Just the term, would be, it, it draws towards you. It's, it's, it's attracted to you. According to the notes here, this was recorded in 1995, which puts it into a whole earlier generation of Greenlandic musicians. I would imagine that the brothers in Nanook, Christian and Frederick Elsner, weren't even born when this group, Kalak, was in their prime. And let's see here. The main songwriter and vocalist in this group is a guy named Kali Olson. I wouldn't be surprised if this is long out of print and no longer available. I probably added this to my collection maybe 15 years ago. But uh, 
Not a bad CD. Kalak. Coming up next time in episode number 48. Well, I will acknowledge that these uh, numbers don't always come one after the other. We have the special guests interspersed in between things, but that uh, gets determined later what goes where. So right now, as I record this, all I can tell you is that 48 comes after 47 at some point afterwards. So I think I will tackle the subject of dry suits. I have a lot to say about dry suits, actually. So that'll be next time, whenever episode 48 gets aired. Thank you for tuning in to the Dubcast with Dubside.